0: For the six hours that Jesus hung on the cross, the Gospels record that he spoke seven times. And if you're not reading anywhere in particular at the moment in your Bible, you might want to look up those seven occasions when Jesus speaks from the cross. Take one for each day of the week, and you've got a week of devotions. And I know you'll get a lot out of it as you reflect over the responses of Jesus from the cross. And this morning, morning, we're going to, as we come to share around communion we're going to look at two of the statements of Jesus from the cross. So if you have a Bible, or an iPhone, or an iPad, or wherever it is with your Bible on it. Luke 23, verses 33 to 36. Luke 23, verses 33 to 36. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. And then in Matthew 27 verses 29 to 31, leading up to this moment in the crucifixion of Jesus, Matthew tells us this. A crown of thorns was set on his head. A staff was put in his right hand. And the soldiers knelt down in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the staff and beat him on the head again and again. And Jesus' response from the cross in the midst of all of that is to say, Father, forgive them. they do not know what they are doing. Just to be clear, they knew what they were doing in terms of the physical and emotional pain they inflicted on Jesus. They knew what they were doing when they beat him and mocked him and hammered the nails into his hands and feet. There was a lot that they were guilty of. But what they did not know, what they hadn't grasped, is exactly who they were doing this to. They had not grasped that this was the Son of God. So in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8 the apostle says None of the rulers of this age understood the wisdom of God For if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory The passage we read from Luke 23 says in verse 35 People sneered at him Verse 36 the soldiers mocked him So let me ask you a question this morning Have you ever been sneered at? The Cambridge English Dictionary says This is what it means, to talk about or look at someone in an unkind way that shows you do not approve of them. Have you ever been looked at in a bad way? Have people talked unkindly about you in ways that put you down? Have people blanked you, ignored you, excluded you? Have people spoken in negative ways about you, perhaps even saying things that are not true? All of this happened to Jesus. A lot of it happened in the last week of his life. But throughout the three years of his ministry, all of this stuff was being said about him. How are we to react? How are we to respond when these things come our way? Perhaps the first inclination that rises in you is to say something equally unkind. In the heat of the moment, to say something back. Maybe there's even an urge to do violence. These, I guess, are pretty natural human inclinations. They sneered at Jesus. They mocked him. You saved others, Jesus. If you're such a superman, well, let's see you save yourself. Let's see what you've got, King of the Jews. Go on, prove yourself. The Apostle John records in chapter 7 and verse 4 of his gospel that even Jesus' own family, his own brothers, taunted him. Prove yourself, they said. Show the crowd what you can do. Go up to the feast and and give a demonstration of how amazing you are. Jesus refused to go. And sadly, we can sometimes operate from an unhealthy drivenness. There is about trying to prove something to someone, whether it's a family member, our critics, or ourselves. Imagine for a moment having the power that Jesus had. The power to speak and see things happen. So a storm rages and Jesus says three words. Peace be still. And in a moment the raging storm becomes still. On another occasion again Jesus said three words. Lazarus come forth and in a moment death runs away and life comes to a corpse. Imagine having all that power. And these people they're mocking, they're goading, they're sneering, they're taunting. Go and prove yourself. Imagine all that power. And somebody in the car next to you has wound the window down. And they're giving you a right mouthful. What would you say? I mean, it would be nice to be able to turn them into a frog for a few seconds or something like that, (laughs) wouldn't it? The reaction of Jesus, the words of Jesus, cause us to think, to reflect, to pray. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Now, we won't face anything as challenging as Jesus did, but there are going to be many times when people treat us badly, when they don't treat us well. Maybe somebody in the office, maybe it's a personality clash, maybe we don't get on, maybe they've got it in for us, who knows? Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a historical situation, perhaps a friend. And it's not just people in the world, but even Christians can disappoint us. Even Christians can say hurtful things. What do we do with all of that. Return equally nasty words, hold on to the negative words, plot to pay back time, nurse a grudge, become bitter, blank them out. Or maybe, maybe by God's grace and power, by His grace and strength, we can seek to operate from a different spirit, a spirit of grace and forgiveness. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean bad behaviour is never challenged. There's a time and a context to let that go and there's a time and a context for bad behaviour to be challenged. Wisdom dictates the heat of the moment often isn't the best time. Forgiveness doesn't mean that I will make those people my best friend. Jesus didn't even do that. Forgiveness doesn't mean justice should not be done. Where required justice should be done. Forgiveness means, at the very least, and it means much more than this, it means I will not return unkindness with unkindness or nastiness with nastiness. You see, forgiveness is counterintuitive really, but it's very empowering. Because when I forgive, I step out of being a victim. When I forgive, I let go of something in the past so that I am freer to live more fully in the present. Jesus exhorts us to pray, even for those who persecute us. And we're not to pray evil to befall them. In fact, we're to pray blessing. How challenging is that? We are not to adopt the spirit of the world, which is so easy for us to do in our flesh and our humanity. We are to operate from a different spirit. And how badly our world needs to see men and women of a different spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 5.43, You have heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. These are not just empty words for Jesus. From the cross, after the beating, after the mockery, after all that has happened to him amid the pain, Jesus practices what he preaches and he says, Father, forgive them. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says be imitators of god therefore as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god be imitators of god how challenging is that being a disciple of jesus is a journey of becoming more and more like him Maturity is not just knowing what Jesus said, though that's really important. Maturity is growing to become more and more like Jesus was. And Jesus is just as much interested about the person you are becoming as what you do for him in service. In 1 John 2 verse 6, the Apostle John says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. This is so very challenging and without the Holy Spirit it's impossible and it is a process it is a journey knowing the truth of God's Word believing the truth of God's Word is vital amid all the voices that have a say into our lives amid all the different voices that are speaking there is the voice of God there is the word of God amid the lies Amid the innuendo, amid the lies of the enemy, and the careless words of people, there is the truth of God's words. And somehow, someway, we have to get a hold of what God says and live by His truth and not the lie. Let me highlight one truth in particular that can really help us with this. You see, while the crowd didn't really know who Jesus was, Jesus was clear about His identity. The accusations people hurled at Jesus. The things they said. Jesus knew that's not who he was. All the falsehoods. All the lies that they said about him. He knew that's not who he was. It was not his identity. Jesus wasn't driven to prove anything to anyone. To his family, the crowd or his critics. Jesus didn't need to earn their approval. Or earn their love. And somehow... Probably most of us at one level or other are somehow trying to earn somebody's love, somebody's approval somewhere. Jesus didn't need to do that because he was securing the truth that he was loved. He was a much loved son of God. At his baptism, Jesus heard the voice of the father say, this is my son. I love him. With him, I am well pleased. So let me ask you, do you know who you are? Like me, you could describe yourself in many ways. You wear lots of different hats. But who are you at the very core of your being? The very center of your being. Who are you and who do you listen to? Out of all the voices, voices from the past, voices from last week, who do you listen to? Who will have the final say? I love 1 John 3 verse 1. And I want to encourage you, I won't check up on you, but I want to encourage you just three times this week, ten minutes, three days, ten minutes, to read and reread 1 John 3 verse 1. Read it over and over and over until the truth begins to excite you and do something in your spirit and then just let praise and worship rise. 1 John 3 verse 1 says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, That we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Do you know who you are? How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. I love that word lavished. It's extravagant. It's abundant. Our God is not a miser God. He's a God of abundance. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us and the audacity that we should be called children of God. And the Apostle John finishes that verse, look it up in your Bible, and that is what we are, exclamation mark. It's what we are. No doubt about it. Our core identity is that we are much loved sons and daughters of God. After his baptism, Jesus goes into the desert where he is tested by the devil. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus still has the word of the Father ringing in his ears. This is my son whom I love. But in Matthew 4 verse 3. The first words of the devil to Jesus are. If. If you are the son of God. Straight away the devil attacks what God has said. And he seeks to sow doubt and attack the identity of Jesus. Wow if he'll do that with Jesus he'll do it with you and me. If. If you are the son of God. And it's exactly what the enemy does with us. And he did this right from the very beginning. Back in Genesis when Eve is looking at that tree. That beautiful tree. That lovely fruit. It's the forbidden fruit. And the enemy, he sidles alongside. He whispers in her head. Did God say? Did he really say? Did he say you would die? You will not surely die. You see, the enemy will do anything to get us doubting God's word, believing his lies, or taking on board the careless words of people. And this is where we need to take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is God's word, and say to ourselves, I am who God says I am. I'm not going to listen to that report. I will no longer listen to that voice from my past. I'm going to be deaf to that voice and alive to his voice. I am who God says I am. I am what the Father says. And this morning through his word, the Father says to you, you are a new creation. You are not your past. The past does not define you. Your past will not determine who you will become. He will determine who you will become. You are not your past. You are a new creation. You are redeemed. You are cleansed. You don't have to live in the past. You don't have to bring up the past. It's under the blood of Jesus. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You look in the mirror on the morning. Say, You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Look, you're not a mistake, you're not an accident. You're not a waste of space, no matter what people have told you. In childhood or wherever it is, last week, yesterday, you're not a mistake because there is a father in heaven who intended that you be here. Amen. There is a father who's always had you in his heart and in his mind. You are a much loved son, a much loved daughter of God. So back to Ephesians 5.1. Be imitators of God. And let me just bring the emphasis of this verse slightly different. As dearly loved children, live a life of love. As dearly loved children, that's who we are. From out of that place, live a life of love. Live out of your true identity. Live out of who you are in God. Soak yourself in God's word. Immerse yourself in God's truth. Seek to be filled by the Spirit. The Spirit does not empower you to live a worldly life. We can do that all by ourselves. The Spirit empowers us to live at a different level. Empowers us as dearly loved children to live a life of love. Reflecting on the example of Jesus. And I think the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2.23. He has this cross scene in mind. He says this, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In the moment, Jesus chose to trust God. That brings us to the second truth that will help us in the second lot of words from the cross. Jesus didn't just know who he was. He knew that his future was not in the hands of his mockers. His future was not in the hands of those who were saying all these lies and telling all these untruths. His future was in the hands of his father. In John 19 verse 10, Pilate says to Jesus, don't you realize I have the power to set you free or the power to crucify you? And Jesus replied, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. You may be in the position of power. I respect that. You may have authority on me. I respect that. But my future is not in your hands. Jesus is saying, whatever it looks like, wherever I'm feeling, wherever I am, Pilate, you're not in charge. My life is in the hands of the one who is above all authority and all principality and all power. And my trust is in him. See, even in the moment of death, Luke twenty three forty six. More words of Jesus from the cross. It says, Jesus cried from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even in that moment, the text says the sun stopped shining. I don't know if you've ever had days when it feels like that. The sun stopped shining. And as Jesus breathed his last, he said, into your hands, even in this moment, I will trust you. To his dying breath, from the beginning of his life, Jesus trusted his heavenly father. A life lived trusting God is a powerful life and a blessed life. It's not necessary a life with all the answers and it's not necessary a life without suffering. The truth is this side of heaven, we won't have all the answers there will be why questions that we just can't find a satisfactory answer to i have lots of them jeremiah 17:7 7 says this blessed is the one who trusts in the lord whose confidence is in him where is your confidence what voice are you listening to where are you looking where have you fixed your eyes what are you plugging into What for some of our young people in social media are you listening to? Are you watching when you're unfriended? See, our confidence is not in ourselves. That would be misplaced confidence. Our confidence is not in other people. It's misplaced confidence. Our confidence is in Him. Our confidence is in the one who is far above all. Our confidence is in the one who has conquered death and hell and sin. So we can say, because he lives, I will live also. Our confidence is in the one who brings light into darkness and order into chaos. Our confidence is in the one who said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And the truth is this morning, the overcomer lives in us. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 to 10. I just love these words of the Apostle Paul. They are real and they are faith-filled. And that's the balance we need. To be real, but to be faith-filled. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10. Here's the Apostle Paul. We are hard-pressed on every side. You have days like that. Sometimes you have weeks like that. Sometimes you can have a year like that. We are hard pressed on every side, says Paul, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. The J.B. Phillips translation puts that last verse like this, I love it. We can be knocked down, but never knocked out. You may get knocked down. But I declare over you this morning... You will be never knocked out in Jesus' name. In the words of Isaiah 40 and verse 31, it says this. For those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Wherever you are in life at the moment... Whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation, I pray your strength will be renewed in Jesus' name. If you are on the canvas at this moment in time, if you're feeling knocked down, I pray God lift you up in the name of Jesus. So let me come to a finish as we come to communion. And I'll go back to our identity as sons and daughters of God. When Jesus heard the words of the Father saying... This is my son whom I love. At that point in his life, Jesus had not yet performed a miracle. He hadn't yet gathered any followers. He'd lived in obscurity. Nobody knew who he was. He had not yet done anything particularly impressive. And it's in that moment that the father says, This is my son whom I love. I am well pleased with him. He was loved before he did anything. He was loved before he achieved anything. He was loved before he held crowds captive with his teaching. He was loved before he did any miracles. Before he hit any targets. Before he posted any outcomes. He was a much loved son of God. In Ephesians 1 verse 4. Another favorite verse of mine. The apostle says. God chose us in him. When? God chose us in him when we passed all our exams. God chose us in Him when we finally got that PhD. God chose us in Him when, you know, we had achieved a lot and we'd done a lot. No, God chose us in Him before the creation of the world. And He chose us to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons and daughters. Chosen before the creation of the world. Chosen before you achieved anything, chosen before you did anything of service to Him, chosen before you performed any good deed or great sacrificial act. And the text says the driving force was love. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons and daughters. God drew you to Himself, not because of your giftedness, but you are gifted. He drew you to himself, not because of what you would do for him in service, though out of love for him, you will serve him. God drew you to himself because he loved you from before the creation of the world. Before you drew breath, God saw you. Somehow, somewhere in eternity past, he looked down the corridors of history and he saw the day that you would be born. And he says, I love him. I love her and I will give my life for them. You are a much-loved son, a much-loved daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I pray, God, help us to become more and more like Jesus. Help us to put our confidence and our trust in our Heavenly Father. Help us to hear His voice above all the other voices. Help us to hear His word, His truth above every other. And help us to know who we are and to live out of our true identity. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's pray together, friends.